0: On episode 87 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Innovative Leadership with Dr. Crystal Morrison.
1: Innovation is not just an act of creativity, it's an act of leadership.
0: You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. On today's show, we're talking with Dr. Crystal Morrison, CEO and founder of Everrise Leadership Consulting. She started her career as a chemist working in large national laboratories. Now she helps tech related organizations in Pittsburgh refine their vision and develop their people. And now, here's Crystal. Welcome to the podcast, Crystal. If you could kind of give us your full title because you are a doctor, right?
1: Hey, I'm a doctor, just not the real doctor, as my kids say. <laughs> Dr. Crystal Morrison. Um, not a real doctor. I have a PhD, actually.
0: But you play one on TV. No, not <laughs> yeah, <really>. yeah. <laughs> can we start by just kind of, can you tell me your background and what brought you to us today?
1: I've spent almost 20 years uh, leading large research and development groups. Um, my background is in chemistry and my PhD is in polymer science and engineering, and over the years I've become really passionate about not only technical leadership and technical strategy, but really professional development for the, the scientists and engineers who I've worked with.
0: So what kind of work have you done previously? We were We were talking at lunch <laughs> and both... Carlos and I were just fascinated by all the different types of products there are with paint in them and how they work.
1: Yeah. So um, in my last role, I led global uh, research for uh, a large company focused on uh, paint and coatings and uh, was looking at new coating systems for everything from uh, heavy duty equipment to even cell phones and laptops.
0: This was something that I was interested in, especially oleophobic coatings on stuff. How does that work?
1: Your fingerprints actually have both organic and inorganic content. So oils and things like that, organic, and, and then salts and things like that would be more inorganic. And so you have to develop coatings that... Uh, respond to both types of chemistry in your fingerprint, and actually hide your fingerprint on the surface. So that's where anti-fingerprint coatings and uh, come from. Actually, is is manipulating that oleophobic behavior of your fingerprints.
0: And so we're going to talk about what you're doing now with Everrise, but I kind of want to give people a background. Mm-hmm. How did you get into this kind of industry that you've been working in?
1: Actually, after graduate school, um, I did my postdoc fellowship at Los Alamos National Lab. And I spent nine years at Los Alamos and after my postdoc fellowship, I was a a staff member and then a team leader and a project and program leader at the lab. Um, So I got very involved in leading large programs, large programs for the uh, nuclear weapons complex and uh, was very, very intrigued by not only the technical challenges and execution of large projects, um, but also the ways that, that people are motivated, the ways that people come together on large technical problems and really create things um, by working together. and. The fact that being a great scientist is not just about being really smart. It's about being able to work together with other people to really uh, address the the problems. And so after leaving Los Alamos, I, I moved to Pittsburgh and I had several different progressive leadership roles in a mid-sized company as well as a large global corporation. And, you know, the things that, that I observed uh, earlier on in my career at Los Alamos just inspiring scientists and engineers, um, creating an innovative culture, creating an environment that really fosters innovation, as well as developing scientists, not only as technical experts, but as people who are capable of collaborating effectively, communicating effectively, to, to really further their ideas was hugely important to me.
0: And so now working as EverRise, you're kind of working with those companies to kind of build up their leadership and kind of help their foundation. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, helping companies create a more innovative culture, helping companies uh, create more effective teams to deliver on new product development, to be able to execute on the really great ideas that they have. Uh, It's one thing to have a lot of great ideas, but it's another to be able to bring teams of people together to deliver on those ideas.
0: So what are some of the challenges that you saw when you were in the industry that you are now looking to help or fix or or work on Mm -hmm. as part of EverRise?
1: You go to school to become a, a scientist and engineer. Maybe you get your bachelor's or your master's or PhD. And, you know, rarely do you ever have the opportunity along the way in your educational career to get exposed to leadership development, leadership skills, management skills, business acumen. And, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, something that I've seen over and over again is students will come out of school and um, have to work in teams. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult sometimes for uh, someone who's uh, very analytical to be willing to listen to the ideas of everyone on the team. And so it can be quite a shock. Another challenge is that, you know, typically in technical organizations, perhaps maybe the person who's the smartest, who's been the most technically successful, might be promoted into leadership positions. And not only have they not had any kind of training in school, they've probably not had any on-the-job training for leadership and organizational development. So, Um, it's a skill set that I think it's safe to say doesn't always come naturally to those that are uh, more technically minded. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's something that uh, folks definitely need a lot of help with.
0: I've heard about this recently on the radio talking about the Peter principle, the idea that you have somebody who's really good at their job, and it may be a technical job. Mm -hmm. And so you say, okay, well, when a opportunity comes up in in leadership and management, I'm going to take that person and put them there and they're going to be good at that. And I'm I'm getting from you that these technical people who have really focused on being good at what they do have no leadership experience probably per se, Mm -hmm. and they really don't know how to be a good leader. Is that right?
1: Yeah. In a lot of cases, that's true. I, I think that you know I know many examples in particular where Uh, Folks that I've worked with have been excellent scientists, and they've been asked or told to take on a leadership position, and um, it's been very difficult for them. And and they were asked to take on that position without uh, any recognition that they may need some skills and help that they haven't received before. And there's often the attitude, oh, well, that person's really smart. They'll just figure it out as they go. (laughs) That usually leads to a disaster. It's
0: not always the smartest person who should be put in the leadership role. It's sometimes the person who is best at getting people around that, that goal and that vision, right?
1: I think that scientists and engineers certainly appreciate a leader who has uh, technical competence that can understand what they're doing, understand the true technical challenges that they have to deal with. But a leader needs to be able to to speak their language, but at the same time, be able to create a shared vision for the team, be able to work through some of the team issues that inevitably arise. At the end of the day, whether it's a technical problem or not, people are people and People are always part of a team and a leader really needs to be able to build trust and be able to empower the team to to, to solve the problem at hand.
0: Could it also be that because these people are very highly educated, very intelligent, that they don't want to have to adhere to a rigid power structure where this person is in charge of me, they think that I, I know best?
1: Yeah, that's often something I've I've seen too. Uh, I've seen the extreme on both sides where um, a scientist uh, engineers um, are are very bright, very brilliant and think that their way is the only way and Mm -hmm. they couldn't possibly um, adhere to some hierarchical structure. On the other side of things, I've seen environments where it's very traditional, very command and control. And and some of the technical folks, the scientists and engineers are almost have been trained to be told what to do. And so their innovative spirit has kind of been sucked out of them by nature of a very traditional hierarchical organization.
0: So let's talk about that. We were talking earlier, you were saying about creating that kind of environment mm-hmm. where these people can really thrive and innovate because a lot of these big companies are saying we are very innovative, but we're still very structured and organized and we have this exact way of doing something.
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I always think about that I believe at my core is that innovation is not just an act of creativity. It's an act of leadership. And it's one thing to bring a lot of very bright people Together and and tell them go get go innovate go pr- be creative <laughs> and then and it's another thing to allow that to actually happen. All right. So it's very very important that the leader creates an atmosphere that's actually conducive to innovating, and it's easier said than done.
0: You were saying earlier that when you worked in the industry, you were trying to kind of protect your people and insulate them because they are being required to do Mm -hmm. what you call like TPS reports type of office space style reports and stuff. And they weren't able to focus on their actual work.
1: Yeah, that's one example. You know, I think that a leader that's that's leading large uh, technical organizations, uh, you know, it's very important to preserve time for people to to do their job and so if the vision for your team and the goal of your team is new product development or long-term research or strategic innovation let's call it You have to preserve and defend time for people to be able to do that. That can be very difficult. You know, you can't necessarily innovate in 30-minute blocks across the day because that's what you have uh, available to you. You really have to make sure that your team members have time carved out for them to be able to do their job and not get inundated with with many things that are actually just not value-added to your mission and goal.
0: Is this something that applies mostly to the type of industry you're from, or is it like all tech companies kind of have this sort of issue, you think?
1: I do think that all technical companies, let's say, Uh, robotics, software, materials, uh, pharmaceuticals. I think this gap exists uh, across those companies where there's a high uh, science and engineering component. I think the gap certainly exists uh, across that sector. The same types of things that we do in leadership development, organizational development, uh, can resonate across many, many different industries. But I think there's uh, certainly a unique opportunity here in tech, uh, to address a significant gap,
0: we'll be right back. And now it's time to meet a 360 Solutions strategic partner.
1: So I'm Lana with Echo 9 Solutions. I came to 360 when I retired from the Army. I spent 28 years in the Army training soldiers, building them one by one. I was a first sergeant at the NCO Academy for a long time. I was an instructor at the recruiting academy, recruited for a long time. And when I got out of the Army, I still wanted to do that. And I was researching, consulting companies, leadership, and again, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. And I ran across 360 Solutions, and I actually went up to Waco and looked at their products they were beautiful i mean they they looked good they looked professional and like if i'm gonna go and put myself out there in front of people i want to project professionalism in everything that i do
0: if like lana you're ready to help organizations develop their leaders consider partnering with 360 solutions our high performance leadership framework helps organizations run more efficiently with an engaged workforce Find out about partnering with 360 Solutions at 360solutions.com slash partner. Again, that's 360solutions.com slash partner. And now back to the show. Do you think there's an unfair weighting of like job titles and people get really hung up on what they're responsible for instead of looking at the overall vision of the company?
1: Yeah, I definitely, definitely think that. I know that people, uh, whether it's tech or not, but I know that a lot of people do have a lot of pride, defensiveness, if you will, but certainly a lot of pride about what their title is and where they rank within an organization. And uh, that can be very, very important to people. uh, And I think you have to be mindful of that. We all have an ego at the end of the day, and and some title definitely matters.
0: We were also talking about, you know, the millennial workforce is coming in strong, and those millennials want a sense of purpose when they come into an organization. They want to know they're helping the bottom line and they're serving a greater purpose. So how do you instill that when this generation is coming up?
1: You know, I think a lot of times right now millennials tend to get uh, a bad rap, if you will, in in industry. You know, those of us have been around a little bit longer, oh, millennials, you know, how are we going to address the millennial? Well, you know, the truth is is that um, the millennial generation, you know, it's it's a great fun creative generation in the workforce and there's a tremendous amount of potential there and i've had the opportunity on my teams to work with a lot of a lot of millennials you know new phd's brought into organizations uh, as well as emerging leaders and Purpose is very, very important. They want to understand what the vision is for the company, what their role is in contributing to that vision, what purpose they have, and it's very important to them. They, they really want to understand that connection. They want to know that their work is having an impact somewhere. It's very important.
0: Leaving this industry, you wanted to kind of come back and help the people side of this, and you created EverRise. Can you tell me what that's about?
1: EverRise is my company focused on leadership and organizational development and and really focused on addressing this gap we've talked about in in technical uh, industries. You know, I've become very passionate over the years, helping scientists and engineers create collaborative, functional teams, helping scientists and engineers and And CTOs and R&D directors and companies create a strategy, but not only create a strategy, actually execute on a strategy and get their teams around the strategy for really new product development and growth. Averize is unique in the sense that, yeah, there are companies that do training and there are companies that do development and there are companies that do uh, organizational development and strategy, but it's very important to be able to take that content and have it resonate with people uh, in technical fields. And I think that is absolutely a unique gap that uh, I feel here with EverRise.
0: So when you're approaching a company to do some organizational development with them, where do you kind of start?
1: It's important to start with where they're at as an organization. Mm-hmm. So to start off with a discussion around what they think their challenges are and, and to really assess with them what their challenges are. And I think it's important at that point to be very honest, uh, to be very honest about what the challenges are that they think that they have versus maybe what the challenges are that they really have. And so it starts with assessment and then working with that company to to refine what are Um, The critical pieces that need to be delivered, the critical tools that they need help with to move their organization forward. And that could be a lot of different things, but that initial assessment is is probably the most
0: important part. And then once you've done the assessment... Uh, do you kind of design how the organization could run more efficiently?
1: That would be certainly one approach. If an organization is really struggling with culture, that you might take a, a somewhat different approach. But the first step, like I mentioned, is really getting is getting real about where the challenges are, and sometimes that may mean that uh, leadership at the top. Is actually quite disconnected from the the boots on the ground Mm -hmm. understanding what that disconnect would be Mm -hmm. uh, would really help that refine the path forward
0: do you find it common that executives are like you know our organization isn't running as efficiently as we'd like I think it's the people below me please go fix them
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, (laughs) Definitely hear that an awful lot. Uh, Well, if we don't get out of folks what we need to, we'll just, you know, get new folks. Uh, People become uh, a commodity, disposable, and that's not what a high-performance organization is about.
0: So I would, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would look at the kind of companies you're approaching. There's probably the well-established large companies that have very in-stone rules and operating procedures. Mm-hmm. And then there's probably the young upstart tech companies that don't have any sort of a specific strategy put together because they're bootstrapping their idea mm-hmm. from the ground up. So those seem like very different companies. They're both tech companies. How would you approach them differently?
1: So definitely very, very different. In terms of a, a startup company, the approach is, um, again, with a, an initial assessment of, of the company, but really to uh, help them focus in what is their sweet spot, their unique value uh, proposition to their customer base, and then working with them to refine uh, their organization, uh, to be aligned with that strategy. Um, You know, when you're a small company, you're starting up, you're trying to do everything yourself, And you can easily be swayed by squirrels, I'll call them, you know, all (laughs) of the, you know, the things that look glittery and wonderful and uh, your time is very valuable. So um, I would approach a startup definitely in in a different way, Uh, especially companies, you know, the Pittsburgh startup tech culture is is amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, There's a lot of resources, but there's not necessarily anyone helping those companies focus their strategy make sure that their technical resources are aligned and and working toward their their overall strategy and that's what I certainly intend to do. A larger company, there's a lot of opportunity within a large company to specifically focus perhaps on um, the R&D organization, the technical strategy. Is the technical strategy aligned with the business strategy? Are the projects and resources and people uh, working on the right projects that are aligned with that strategy? And most importantly. If you say you're innovating, are you really creating a culture <laughs> that allows you to do so? You know, startups kind of have that inherent in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just got to get uh, the reins around them a bit more.
0: So which do you prefer working with?
1: I love working with startups. Yeah. I do. I love working with startups. In my experience, I've had the opportunity to work with with several and the idea of, of just no limits and creativity and the excitement and the passion is just really fantastic. It's really exciting. And being able to help a startup get on a path that's going to lead them to success uh, and do that early on is very exciting.
0: So you're from Pittsburgh and we're talking about tech and uh, we were talking about the different stuff going on in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of paint that picture for other listeners what does the tech culture look like in Pittsburgh right now
1: yeah um, so I've lived in Pittsburgh for six years I love Pittsburgh a um, tech culture in Pittsburgh is really phenomenal. Um, we have major universities, Carnegie Mellon, University of Pittsburgh, as well as Chatham, Carlo, Robert Morris. Uh, so very strong higher education footprint. Robotics is very strong in Pittsburgh. Mm. We have an incredible number of robotics startups um, as well as many, many software startups in the city as well. Along with software and robotics, there's a very strong footprint for materials still in the area, you know, the steel town by, by heart, but now it's evolved into uh, materials as well as um, bio. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of bio research and, and pharma in the Pittsburgh area as well. It's a very livable city, uh, consistently ranked the most livable city, and it's certainly attracted a very, very diverse global population to the city.
0: And I think you've done a, a really good job of this already, but if somebody is listening to this and they have a organization, tech organization, and they're kind of struggling, why are you the perfect fit to help them? reach their goals.
1: One of the real differentiators that I have is that I have uh, lived and walked in their boots. I am a practitioner, I've, I've been in their shoes. For almost 20 years, I've led uh, small, medium, and large teams in a very diverse uh, array of environments from a national lab to, to a large company. So I understand in a very real way the challenges that they're facing and i can speak their language you know i was raised in uh, rural arkansas i went to college in missouri and grad school in michigan and you know one of the things that has never left me about growing up in arkansas is that i was always taught that people really matter hmm. Um, And that's never left me. And so despite the fact I consider myself a a big nerd and uh, I love technology, I love science and engineering, I'm at my core a people person. And that core value has stayed with me. And it's a huge part of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because I, I truly feel in order to innovate, in order for companies to have sustainable products and and to stay at pace with evolving technology, they absolutely have to pay attention to their people, the needs of the people, how to empower the people, um, and how to really bring people together to, to move their goals as an organization forward.
0: So I know there's several different topics that you cover when you work with organizations to develop their leadership like emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of your favorite things to talk about with them and where do you see the most impact?
1: So two of my favorite things to talk with with my clients about is, is certainly trust and emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And those are two huge pieces of a high-performance organization. And uh, in traditional organizations, trust is certainly lacking. Uh, and emotional intelligence as well. Um, I think especially with uh, my colleagues in, in science and engineering, emotional intelligence can, can be a little bit more of, of a challenge. It's not to say that scientists and engineers have no emotional intelligence, but uh, it can be a little bit uh, more uncomfortable, perhaps. They're more introverted sometimes. Yeah, more, more introverted. Um, but yeah, definitely trust and emotional intelligence, two, two of my favorite topics to help people with.
0: And so is that trust really important, especially in tech, because typically you're working with a team on a project and you really have to trust each other to do your part, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Not only trust that that everyone's bringing their technical expertise to the table, but also trust that... Uh, all of your partners in the organization that you've got a good uh, understanding of the market, how fast it's moving, what your customers desire. So it's not just just technical, but making sure that all of the functional pieces that have to come together to create a new product are are available and at the table.
0: And I would also assume at the speed with which things move in tech, that it could be a very emotionally frustrating environment. So having that emotional intelligence is really important in that way too.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, if you think about how fast technology moves, companies can't afford to not pay attention to these fundamental needs of people in order to create a sustainable product platform to stay at pace just at pace with your competitors you have to be enabling your team with more than just tech savvy and good science and good engineering you've got to give them an edge skill sets to really actually execute on that
0: so until somebody can actually get you in their office to work with you if you're a tech company and you just feel like your head is spinning, things are not how they should be, what are some of like the top three things you would tell people to kind of look at to try and get the ship to an even keel?
1: I would start with the question of why are you doing what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And second, what are you delivering that's absolutely unique to your competitors? Mm. What sets you apart from your competitors? And, and then number three, are your daily activities aligned with one and two? The mm. why, why are you there, and what makes you different?
0: I thought I would stump you with that question, but it's so analytical. It's perfect for this interview. <laughs> I know. It's technology related. It just goes, you know, refer know. to one and two after yeah. you get to three. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
1: How did I? Yeah. That's just, I, I like those lists. You got me already. I really want people to to understand that it's one thing to have a hundred amazing ideas. That's fantastic. That's a place to start. But unless you're able to, to really get your teams aligned around a mission and prioritizing those ideas and being able to execute on those ideas, it's just a hundred ideas they go nowhere mm-hmm. in order to to create value as a company in order to create value as a person you've really got to work on um, the core principles of high performance i think a lot of us who've uh, you know maybe have got a phd in chemistry but at the end of the day i'm a person at mm-hmm. my core
0: excellent so if people want to find you what's the best way to do that
1: Absolutely. So the website is everrisellc.com. Um, my email address is cmorrison at everrisellc.com.
0: And if a company wants to work with you, is there different ways you work with them? Do you immerse in their culture? Do you have mastermind groups? How does that work?
1: Um, it could work any number of different ways. It starts off certainly with, with a conversation, and I need to understand. You know, who the organization is, who am I talking to within the organization, what uh, market segment they work in and and all of that. So it starts with the initial conversation and the follow on would likely be a one on one meeting with that company to really assess and determine next steps. But uh, that could include uh, internal mastermind groups. Uh, as well as um, internal series of, of workshops focused on specific skills that perhaps that organization needs to focus on.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for coming into the studio today, Dr. Crystal Morrison, <laughs> and uh, I appreciate your time. And I hope people have learned a lot about leadership and technology.
1: Great. Thank you, Randy.
0: Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.